0: welcome back to coaches on the beach and today we are joined by rj abella rj has been the assistant coach and recruiting coordinator for south carolina beach for the past 10 seasons he has a big part in building south carolina's beach programs he's been there ever since the start of the program and we are excited to have him on the show welcome to the show rj
1: hey guys thanks a lot for having me big fan of the show big fan of the pod
2: big fan of you dude um i always uh for those that don't know or didn't listen to the colin wilson episode um rj bella is kind of the reason that i did this whole crazy thing because um i one day asked him i was like hey what do you think about like a manager going to a coach and he goes well that's what i did um he left out some details in that that hopefully we'll catch up to um here shortly but you know give us the quick rundown on uh we'll talk about you know where you started playing volleyball and then how you got into coaching and then how you landed on South Carolina and beach volleyball as a Filipino dude from the Midwest.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how I started, I guess I could start with how, how volleyball entered my life. And, uh, you know, when it first entered my life in fifth grade in Kansas city, Missouri, never would have imagined that I would make a living coaching volleyball. Um, uh, started out and. St. Peter's grade school where we had a parochial league where all the Catholic schools kind of had a volleyball league. And I tried out for the team, and there's not enough interest because it's Kansas City, Missouri. So it's just one team, and it was like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, all in one team. And I ended up being one of the better players, I guess. And um, lo and behold, the Mavs at Kansas City indoor club team said that we're going to start a boys club team. And I was scared to death because it was a tryout and there's like 200 girls out there not more or less scared I'm not going to make the team but I'm like I just don't want to look like an idiot in front of all these girls <laughs> um but lo and behold I make that team and uh was the starting setter for that team through uh throughout my career we were not good <laughs> we were playing like in men's B tournaments and getting whooped by like 65 year olds like passing over on one and but the cool thing is that we stuck together as a team, and um, by the time it was my senior year, I'd committed to play at Newman University in Wichita, Kansas, which at the time was like an NAIA powerhouse. And then, uh, yeah, I spent time at Newman University, and my junior year, they decide, we make the full transition to be an NCA program. And uh, for the listeners out there who don't understand men's volleyball, Division II and Division I are all clumped together playing for the Division I National Championship. And uh, our nearest NCA opponent was Loyola Chicago from Wichita, Kansas. So this whole idea of travel budget and small school, it didn't necessarily uh, fit in the budget. So the men's volleyball program got cut. And for me, being a 5'6 Filipino dude from Kansas City, like Colin said, uh, didn't want to go through the recruiting process again, because that was already hard as a 5'6 guy that didn't have necessarily the most extravagant junior's career. Um, So I decided to transfer to Wichita State University to be a manager. And uh, I went there under Chris Lamb and... Learned so much about volleyball and coaching that I kind of got the bug that I wanted to stay in, like maybe work in collegiate athletics. Uh, Before then, I wanted to, I was studying psychology and I wanted to, I was sad. I was like, I'm going to go to University of North Texas and be a part of their sports psychology program. Um, But during my time at Wichita State, hanging around Chris Lamb and learning from him, I, I actually put a bug in his ear. I was like, hey, like, you should add a director of operations and let me be the director of operations. And I didn't think I was good enough to coach or anything because I played NAIA men's volleyball club in Kansas City. Like, I just didn't necessarily have that Division One experience, at least what I thought in my head. Um, I went to my first ABCA coaches convention. Um representing Wichita state because none of the other coaches were going to go. And I knew like, Hey, you guys usually budget for this. Like, can I go? And it was the first year they had a track for a director of operations. So I, my cell was, I'm going to go learn to be a director of operations. So when I come back, I'm ready. I, I'm, I'm ready to take that job. Uh, hang out with a bunch of coaches at convention. Uh, we know how those conventions can go. And, uh, interestingly enough i got to hang out with some really cool coaches that i kind of put on a pedestal and always looked up to and they would always ask like wait were you at 8 a.m sessions i was like yeah like i'm and i was the guy who was dressed up and uh next thing you know it people were talking it's like hey like you know when you're done like let's talk and maybe we can get you working you know here or somewhere else and I tell my head coach, like, Hey, like Lambo. I know I want to be like the director of operations, but all these other schools were kind of talking, like they're kind of interested in me. And he, I remember him telling me, he's like, you get your degree. I'll hire you as my assistant. And for me, I'm like, wow, top 25 program job right after college. I'm close to home. Like Wichita was only 198 miles away. Um and I couldn't pass it up. I actually went to my advisor and I tell him, "What can I change my major to to graduate as soon as possible?"
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um so I I had I was originally uh, a degree in communications with an emphasis in strategic communications, but then we just changed it to straight up communications so I could not take some extra classes and I could start working as a coach. Um, so I spent some years there. Definitely worked the hardest I ever had as a coach. And uh, I learned so much. I think as as I get older, I really reflect on what Lambeau made me do. And now at 37, I understand why he had me do some th- certain things Um, when I was just like, geez, this is so hard. Like, like what, what's going on? But like I said, now I'm 37. I understand why. And I couldn't be more thankful for, uh, what he's given me, um, as a coach and just as a human. And then, uh, we have our magical year where Wichita state goes to the sweet 16 for the first time in program history. And, uh, lambo and i had or i call him lambo it's kind of his nickname but we would have this morning date every single day during season at 6 a.m we would be in his office watching video every day (laughs) and we were preparing our draw for the sweet 16 was southern Cal. we get video we're watching video and i noticed like Lambeau isn't necessarily really watching the video. He's kind of just looking off to the side. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, it's 6 a.m. I'm here. Like, let's get this done. <laughs> and he just starts telling me stories about why he took the job at Wichita State and how he told people would tell him when he got the job. Like, there's no way you're getting past the second round at Wichita State and things like that and he's like you might not be able to but i think i can and that was kind of cool to hear that from him and then he starts telling stories of alumni like sarah lundgren kara altsberger you know and just how much those girls grinded and sacrificed to get this program to where it's at And, like, I even kind of get a little emotional thinking of us in that dark room at 6 a.m., you know? And then I just remember practices, like, he would tell stories about all those alums. And uh, when we're boarding our bus to go down to Austin, uh, all those alums he was telling stories of were lined up right there just to, you know, congratulate the girls and tell them how much that meant for them and uh it was kind of like where at that point i knew like yeah this is the career i want you know um and then lo and behold that that happened to be my last year at wichita state uh you know it's kind of in our profession sometimes if you're the team gets hot coaching stock goes up and uh lambo actually told me he's like rj it's time to push you out of the nest and he's like, it's, it's time for you to kind of see what you can do now. Like you put your time in here. And that was kind of hard to be honest. It's like, we just had our best year, you know? And he's like, Nope. Time for something different for you. And, uh, Scott Swanson was the, actually the head coach at South Carolina for indoor volleyball. Um, I have gotten to work with him with, uh, the USA, uh, national team system or high performance system. And, uh, he knew this position was also going to be an assistant coach for beach volleyball, um, to start. And I actually, as a side hustle had something called a doubles club in Wichita, Kansas over the summer before beach volleyball was even an NCA sport or even an AVCA sport at that. So we would have like 150, 200 girls from in Kansas and we would spend a month training in the grass and then we would have a grass tournament. And then the next month we would spend a month training in the sand at a park. And then we would finish with the sand tournament. And for me, it was like, that was great supplemental income, but two, growing up in Kansas city where we didn't have as much coaching resources, I love my coach to death. Don't get me wrong. Um, but there are like a lot more, not as much technical coaching that a lot of other people were getting. And in Wichita, Kansas, it was kind of the same thing where we're developing these coaches and I just thought, man, I played two on two like every weekend when I was in high school because I knew that would give me more touches to help me be a better indoor player. So I figured why not let's do that for the girls. Um, so we did that and I think that kind of helped me get the job at South Carolina because I had experience teaching juniors, the doubles game, granted it was on sand, but I had a little beach or sand experience back then. And, uh, yeah, I ended up at South Carolina, helped start the beach program with Moritz Moritz 11 years ago. And, uh. Two years into my coaching at South Carolina, I was given the opportunity to choose which track I wanted to get into. And uh, (laughs) young RJ was very worried about the money part, I'll I'll admit. Uh, And a lot of my colleagues were telling me, like, you know, you're climbing up this ladder in coaching. You're doing some great things. Like, you're at a big school now. And they're like, you know, beach volleyball is so new and it's not going to get support that like indoor volleyball gets. They're like, so you're going to give up all that you've done to spend time in the sun and beach. And for me, I thought about it and I was like, how often does someone get to say they started a program from scratch, like in college? Like I would say probably like, Of all the coaches in the country, at least collegiately, two to 4%, maybe. And I remember what Lambeau told me. And he told me, it's time to see what you can do. And, you know, we're at South Carolina, we're very, very fortunate to uh, have Dawn Staley as our women's basketball coach. Uh, I mean, she's the queen bee. Like she's. She's so awesome in what she's done here. And I remember her talking about, it was an interview, talking about how she needed to teach her players when she first got here what it took to win. And for me, coming from Wichita State, which was already a good program when I joined, I think I learned how to maintain a winning program. But I wasn't there when they were in this what I call the suck, I wasn't there i'd never experienced it but i knew like if i want to see if this coaching thing really is for me i need to experience what it's like to go through the suck and actually learn what it takes to win not what does it take to maintain and that was ultimately the reason why i decided to switch full-time beach um that i've loved it ever since like i said let this is our 11th season we are now the longest tenured coaching beach volleyball coaching staff in the country.
0: Um,
1: which is really I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and that's kind of cool, cool to say. Um yeah, and now uh I'm starting off my eleventh season with you two awesome dudes on this awesome podcast.
2: <laughs> well, you know, you've you talked about starting a beach in Kansas City and helping grow the game that way. Thank you. Um Kind of fitting the time that we're recording this, uh, you know. I'm glad I got sick that Sunday, right? Because we got to see the farewell for um, Eastock, who yeah, uh, one of your players at Wichita State and um, just recently retired from her AVP career. You know, what was that? Did she ever talk to you about that when she was in Wichita? Moving to she's from Colorado, right? So like yeah,
1: yeah. So Emily Stockman. Um, It's a player that actually transferred from Winthrop, which is funny that I'm in South Carolina and Winthrop's only like an hour away. Um, She spent her first year at Winthrop, transferred to Wichita State, and just transformed that program. I mean, she honestly is a coach's dream. Um, Always wanting her extra reps, you know, working by example, just not talking about things, but actually doing it. And uh, we would do this thing in the spring where Lambo would definitely change up how we train in the spring. Like he's a, I like to say he's kind of like Rain Man when it comes to volleyball. Like he just looks at it so differently and finds new ways to innovate and problem solve essentially. And there was a spring where we would play like doubles indoors. And uh, I would always pray that we were odd numbered. So I could be like, Hey, Emily, we're odd numbered. Do you want to, do you need a partner? Like I got you. Um, just because I knew she was interested in playing beach, um, as well. And, you know, after she graduates from Wichita state, she did the whole, I'm going to play pro overseas. And then in the off season, I'm going to move to California and I'm going to start training, playing beach volleyball. Um, because she wasn't full-time playing beach, she wasn't really reaching the towards her potential as a beach volleyball athlete. And I'm at South Carolina, and all of a sudden, Emily decides to go full-time beach. And I remember going to the AVCA championships, and I'm not, not just as a spectator, as a coach, you know? And I'm at Gulf Shores watching these teams play, and I'm looking at these players, and I'm like... Gosh, some of these collegiate players are getting like all this attention and love from USA volleyball for on the beach side. And I'm like, Emily grinds so much harder and she plays so much better, but she just didn't have the platform like a, a bigger school or like a bigger West Coast school. She all she had to her name was Wichita State. And I just remember telling her, I was like, just keep grinding and i promise you like you are going to be known and it was towards the end of her beach career like she really started making some big strides um traveling internationally play placing high in some of these high level fivb tournaments uh i remember when she went made her first main draw in st pete's florida I remember I was at a South Carolina baseball game, which it was a night game. So I was out at the game late to like 10, 30, 11. And I look at my phone and it's like, oh my God, she made her first main draw. And I'm like, I'm on the East coast now. I'm like, I decided to drive overnight to, to watch her play in that main draw. And I mean, she got one, two barbecued, but it was cool to say that I was there to to witness that, and uh, I don't know, man. It's I, I can't say enough about her, and for her to retire the way she did, I know she was so close um, in the last quad, and battling. Um, but I remember talking to her one time about, you know, I'm like you're kind of the veteran now, and maybe for like you need it's time for you to take the young kid. And, uh, you know, her last like consistent part with Megan Kraft, like, and seeing the magic that they were able to do in such short time, like it, it just made me so happy. And, uh, her head was in a good place and yeah, I, I couldn't be any prouder. Like as a coach, I don't think you should necessarily have a favorite athlete ever, <laughs> but I yeah. will say I have a Mount Rushmore. Yeah. <laughs> Emily Stockman's definitely one of my Mount Rushmore players, and gosh, I get emotional just reliving all that. But I I couldn't be more proud of her.
2: Do you have uh Do you have the other three on Mount Rushmore? I mean, I have a guess at one or two of them, but I'd be curious.
1: I cannot disclose that until they retire. Okay, <laughs>
2: until they retire. <laughs> until they retire. Um,
1: that includes the the recreational play because they're retired from college and all that already, but. <laughs>
2: Uh, I do think something I'd love to to hear your perspective on. Obviously, Lambeau has a pretty amazing coaching tree. I mean, if, if anybody, right, who doesn't love, if you look at volleyball, right, we always talk about how close of a small group it is, right, how small of a world it is. And you'll always wind up finding these certain places where coaches continue to come from that program. Um, I would say Nebraska is one of them. You'll see it at places like Hawaii from time to time, or or Long Beach in the, in the past. Um, Wichita State probably the most unassuming uh, coaching coaching tree out there. But if you're in volleyball, you would know, you know Wichita State breeds breeds good people. Um, obviously, Lance coaching down in uh, San Antonio would be a fun fun interview sometime. Maybe Michael and I can convince him to to hop on the pod.
1: <laughs> Lance was. Uh a manager at wichita state for a little when i was over there uh so yeah he could you could say he's kind of part of the tree for sure
2: i'm putting him on the tree um you rj have probably one of the coolest trees i would say uh, of anybody not just because um you have a lot of coaches right but you'll have a lot of coaches that one you inspired them By empowering them to be coaches, Um, I can say from personal experience and from people I know that have been a part of the Gamecock Beach program, um, you do a great job speaking life into all of these humans. And so just I would love to hear your perspective on when somebody, one of your players comes up to you and says, hey, RJ, I'm thinking about getting into coaching after I'm done playing Um, and what your thoughts are and how you, I guess, How you guide them through, hey, this isn't always going to be super fun. Sometimes you're going to be in the suck. Like, How do you prepare them for that, but then still get them into it?
1: Man, you're getting me emotional thinking about it. It's because of you, Colin. Mm -hmm. It was... uh, This isn't recording a video because I'm definitely tearing up right now. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot where you were recruiting for Indoor, but you managed to get a picture with Katie Zimmerman, a Wichita State indoor volleyball alum who I was able to convince to come to South Carolina and play beach volleyball and help us make our first NCAA tournament appearance. Um, And then also Frankie Harrison, who was also part of those NCAA tournament. Katie Zimmerman is now coaching at Wichita State, made full circle, where she gets to coach at her alma mater, which is like a movie, I think for coaches um and then frankie harrison uh she actually played her fifth year at duke for indoor volleyball and then the assistant coach at duke got the head coaching job at columbia in new york and i remember frankie calling and like hey i might be a indoor coach like what do you think i'm like frankie go for it just go for it so You know, when I got that picture, Colin, I think I was like, this makes my heart so happy. It's probably what I said. (laughs) And uh, it really did. And gosh, I don't know why that picture just makes me so happy. Even it gets me emotional right now. But, you know, something I always tell coaches and kind of my advice when they want to get into it, I'm like, just really invest in your athletes. You don't necessarily need to know that X's and O's the best. You don't necessarily need to be the world's best recruiter. But if you can get your athletes to tell stories about you and like other people hear about you through your alumni, or you see them have success in their coaching pass, and then they they're kind of when we congratulate them and they're like, Oh my God. It's so just hearing how excited they are. Like, I guess that's a lot of fuel that can keep you alive in coaching. Cause it can be hard. Like there are times it's hard when athletes are upset because maybe they're not playing or they're not starting or they're not traveling, but it's kind of cool when you hear about their experiences and how they always were like, I felt loved. I felt safe. Yeah. The playing, like, I wish I could have done more, but there was so much more. I got out of it. Um, As a coach, you live for those moments. Like it's something that money can't, you can't put money on those feelings. And uh, that's something, I guess I always tell young coaches is once you experience that, like, nothing else matters, you know? Like, you could lose a game at that moment. Yeah, it stinks, but when you start seeing the time go by and the time for you coaching for certain athletes goes away, uh, that's when you kind of, like, really start embracing the players you have even more and even more, even more. So I know I rambled because Kong got me crying but uh my biggest advice is like they really have to just invest in your athletes like get to know them they're not just a number and this is coming from a statistics guy (laughs) but uh if you do that you're going to be a okay
2: yeah and i think you know one of the best parts for me about that picture was the different phases of rj abella i mean i'll never forget when kz graduated 2017 I want to say was her last year um and we had the the end of season banquet and you had to she gets up there and she goes RJ I'm 23 now married um and you've known me since I was 15 years old (laughs) and you've known me over half of my life and I mean that was just that was just a, a testament I think to who you are and how you make people feel. And, and I know that when, uh, I think it was, it had to be Orlando, uh, for AAU nationals and I'd run into Frankie and I'd ran into Katie and we said, we have, to, we'd like been texting each other in a little group chat the whole three days we're in Orlando together. And we'd been texting the group chat. We need to find each other and take a picture so we can send it to RJ because we miss him and, and want him to know, Hey, all of his uh, all of his little baby Gamecocks are doing okay. Um, and I think those two players had some of the most fun, uh, fun would be probably not the way I would say it, uh, most adversity during their college careers. Uh, so Frankie obviously as a freshman is starting uh full-time blocking, loving it. And unfortunately her partner went through a terrible injury her junior year. Is that when Hannah yep. got her jaw broken? And I mean, that's, That's mental strife like you'll never believe. KZ in her final season trying Beach out. You know, she's done a year and a half of Beach now. um, Had been kind of mixing up partners, whether it be with Macy or whether it be Katie Smith. And thinking, okay, we've got a shot of going to NCAA tournament like you brought up. And then we lose to Tulane in the CCSA tournament. And Moritz has the whole team meet outside on that little veranda. And oh my goes, this is probably the last time that this group ever gets to be together. And I... the whole room is crying. <laughs> I mean, from Aaron and Abby and Katie. <laughs> and, and then he makes everybody practice on Monday.
1: we That was a young RJ miscommunication at that moment. So I remember we were like, like, what do we think? Like, do, Are we still in it? Are we out? And... This goes back to Lambeau. Every year, like, we're going to end our season losing. Unless there's only one team in the country that doesn't end their season with a loss. So he was so great. And every year, like, I knew it was coming, but it would always still hit me. And he would talk about guys like this could be the last time we're like together in one setting, you know, and some of you are going to be graduating, leaving and, you know, and it's like, because this could be the last time you get to say some things to these people's, these sisters that you've had faces, like tell them how much you love them, how much they mean to you. And, you know, I honestly thought that was our moment. And I was like, if Lambo did it, I'm going to do it. And I remember telling Moritz, was like, dude, this might be the last time we get these girls all through. And I remember it was like the hotel, like courtyard patio.
2: (laughs) We had an argument over what type of uh, covering it was. Yeah. (laughs) Because none of us could agree it was like slatted at the top. So it wasn't a full roof. But
1: But that's one of those, I remember telling Moritz, I was like, this might be the last time, like, Let's make sure we have some closure if it is, and then, lo and behold, it wasn't.
2: It was not. It was not. We Happy had
1: accident. Yeah,
2: I remember going out to practice on on Monday, and I remember like three of the girls going, "Calling, why the heck are we practicing right now? Like we're there's no shot we're going. There's no shot we're going." But to fast forward to Sunday. We've done a whole week of practice. Maritz is having everybody over for the watch party. I think. We I don't think we had a recruit at that one. I think we had a recruit the next year, at the 2018 watch party. Um, I don't but remember. in in the 2017, I, I will never forget the way it was. The 2018 I'll forget. Like 2018 it comes in and out every once in a while. I remember Leah Perry getting excited like, things like that. But 2017, they're interviewing Anna Collier on the on the NCAA selection show, first time they think they did the selection show. And they go, it's no surprise that your undefeated USC Trojans are going to be the number one seed. Congratulations. And Anna's like, trying to say thank you really quickly. And in as she's saying thank you, the guy goes, you'll be playing the number eight seeded South Carolina Gamecocks. And everybody, like, looks around for a second.
0: That's us! Ah! And,
2: and jumps out of their seats. And it's just this electric moment. But um, I would say those are, you know, some pretty big, Drastic shifts from where we thought we were losing to Tulane to where Frankie was with Hannah playing and then Hannah going to the hospital. What's kind of been the biggest shift you've seen from start of a season to an end of a season in the program's history? What's the big, biggest season that sticks out?
1: Wow. You know, I think I love telling this story. If you can't tell, I like telling stories about – Past players and such—it's—it's it's definitely something I got from Lambo.
0: I was about but to this, say something about it. Like your stories are fabulous. You go into such detail, and you just kind of string people along. Like I'm I, sitting here on the edge of my seat, like it's bedtime <laughs> right now. I'm like, okay.
1: Oh, well, uh, Kong kind of mentioned her. There's uh for those not familiar with Southeast school rivalries, South the University of South Carolina, and. Clemson are definitely like not friends, like (laughs) very, I remember when I first moved here, someone told me and I was like, okay, cool. I'm, I get rivalries. And next thing you know, and I'm seeing like people burning Clemson flags in the city. Like it's not even football season guys. Like what the heck? So I, I learned quick how big this rivalry was. And when I made the shift to beach volleyball only, my falls were a lot more free and you know the people that run the sec network and, and with the south carolina producers like hey rj do you have any interest in being like a color commentator or a volleyball analyst for these productions like especially for south carolina because you're right there and i was like you know i sure <laughs> and uh no well, no, I, I had a little training. This is when my communications degree came in handy. I had some <laughs> classes about uh, broadcasting, and it was kind of cool to put my degree to use. Um, we were playing Clemson in a pre, pre-conference pre tournament. And uh, honestly, our indoor program wasn't the strongest at, t- at that time. Clemson was also struggling at the time, so... It's a rivalry of the not so strong programs going at it, but definitely state bragging titles and, uh, South Carolina dominated, but there was an outside hitter for Clemson that I was like, gosh, this girl is like looking at her stats. Like statistically, she was one of the best players for Clemson in, in the past couple of years. And, uh, it was funny because I'm a beach volleyball coach, and obviously we're not gonna talk recruiting on the air, but I'm taking on my notes, I actually write down Leah Perry Clemson, outside hitter. Oddly enough, during the broadcast, our SID Joe Kepler texts me, and Joe also covers beach volleyball. He goes, Hey, I think this Leah Perry girl could be a good beach volleyball player. <laughs> And then just minutes later, Moritz, who's in the crowd, texts me, do you, I think he's like, I think we can turn this girl into a good, really good beach volleyball player. And here I am trying to focus on this broadcast, (laughs) but now all I'm trying to envision is like, okay, she does this well, can we get her to change this? And so then afterwards, like I'll say I know their roster and I know she's a senior, And I had to contemplate because I was so excited, so excited that I was like, we might have a recruit here. And back then, um, you know, I would like to say we were one of the first programs to utilize the indoor volleyball grad transfer Um, simply because Maritz and I weren't like Olympians or played on the AVP. We didn't necessarily have the biggest size on our roster, but we knew pretty much every indoor volleyball coach in the country. And there's a lot of girls with size out there. So we just started hitting up our contacts and it was, I, I remember I, I was like, I'm going to wait for Leah's season to be over cause it's her senior year. And I want her to focus on that and just finish strong. That's something that's very, very, I take to heart that I want seniors to go out on a high note. Um, obviously a championship of some sorts, great, but ending their career on their terms on a high note is so important to me as a coach. So Leah's indoor season ends and I remember reaching out, have some awesome, awesome, awesome phone calls with her. And I remember telling her, I was like, you know, Leah, you are a remarkable player. And unfortunately like just from a winning and losing, like it, it didn't necessarily reflect how awesome you were. And it's like a player of your caliber, there's, they're littered amongst all these teams in the NCAA tournament. But you didn't get to go. And we'd never gone to an NCAA tournament as a beach volleyball program at the time. And I just remember being like, "Oh well, no, 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 I lied. I lied. Because she was the second year, sorry. But I don't think,
2: but I think at the time recruiting, like we hadn't made it. Yeah, yet. we didn't,
1: we didn't know. We weren't, we didn't know it was going to happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. I eventually, of course, speak it into existence. Yes, here. yes.
1: <laughs> but I made one of the ballsiest things I've ever said as a coach. And I don't know why I said it. But I told her, like, Leah, it's important to me that you, I, I've been very fortunate that I've got to experience some indoor volleyball, you know, postseason NCAA tournament games, and let alone a Sweet 16 game. I guess technically it's regional. Uh, I forgot what the technical term. You're not supposed to say "sweet 16, apparently. But oh, uh, whatever. Basketball's
2: got all the cool names. Yeah,
1: but I remember telling me, like, there's something so beautiful about the postseason. Like, like you get to feel like a rock star. Like the idea, it is. It's such a cool environment that if you show up early to your servant pastime you're not allowed to step foot on the court or touch the volleyballs until your time starts right away. You have open practices where the media is right there, like taking pictures and like, regardless of what your school's financial budget is, everyone gets to feel like a rock star, which I think is so cool. And for someone like Leah Perry to never get to experience that, it was heartbreaking to me. And I told her it's like, it's very important to me that you get to experience an NCA tournament. Lo and behold, Leah has never had any beach volleyball experience. We pair her up with a freshman who was five four.
2: That's very kind of you.
1: <laughs> that might be an extra inch. <laughs> Gamecock legend Macy Tendrich. She's a freshman playing with a girl that's never played beach volleyball before. And that year they become our winningest pair in program history for a season. And then that selection Sunday comes around. I actually have a video of this and it's so cool because I set the phone like right in front of the girls sitting on the ground in front of a TV and Leah Perry's right in the middle of the frame. And they announce, you know, Hawaii. And all of a sudden, you know, we were kind of bummed because, like, they announced the A seed. And it's like we were kind of expecting, like, oh, we're going to be the a seed. And we're like, um, and this is the not eighth, good.
2: The A C seed was FIU. Yeah. And, and we had been like, oh, gosh, did they pick FIU as an at-large over us? Uh,
1: exactly. So it's like, um... And then they had mentioned Hawaii and they said, you're going to be playing the six seed, South Carolina. And to see Leah Perry's face, well, obviously everyone, but this idea that we took a girl from our arch rival school, just a couple hours away where I can only imagine the feedback she was or from people back at Clemson going to South Carolina but she got to experience that postseason tournament. And with beach volleyball back in the day, it was only eight teams. So what I always tell all my indoor friends back then you make the tournament for beach volleyball. It's the equivalent of going to the final four for indoor volleyball. Like you get that much more exposure and attention. And, you know, with that being our second year, going to the tournament. I remember the night before when the cool thing about Moritz is if you're a part of the team, everyone is a coach, like you are a part of a coaching staff. Like Colin kind of get, got to talk to the girls. Our SID got to talk to the girls in our night before match meeting. Our strength and conditioning coach dropped the most awesome line ever how he wanted the girls to be pissed off for greatness. Like Moritz did an awesome job of really getting that family atmosphere where regardless of your position, like you are a reason why we are all here at Gulf Shores. And for me, I remember I was just talking about why I was so proud. Gosh, now I'm getting emotional again. What's going on? But I was so proud because I knew how awesome our girls were. I mean, obviously as volleyball players, like if you want to talk about records and wins, like cool. But it's like, I know what they're like off the court. I know how they are in the classroom. I know the obstacles we had to overcome that season. And they're there. And we finally have a platform where I can share with or the team can just share how awesome we are and as a coach like i can talk about and show how awesome like these girls are on a national and international platform obviously national championships still in my head but that was honestly the probably the proudest thing i was for going to the tournament especially for a second year was that we get to showcase how awesome these girls are and uh through even like the media interviews and just cool videos like that's what made me so proud and i guess for an awesome season like to go back to back and be a sixth seed and to have leah perry um definitely definitely a a season that sticks out in my head for sure this is so cool to listen
0: to I, like, I know you two lived <laughs> it, but, like, I forgot we were on a podcast halfway through that. I know.
1: I feel like we're just hanging out, yeah. t- telling stories. You but... you guys, like, listening to you
0: talk, RJ, like, I can completely see what a coaching tree actually means. Because I've talked to Colin quite a bit. And he, he is a direct disciple of you. Like, how he talks, what he talks about how much you care about these student-athletes, what it means to you to be a coach, like, it's fabulous to hear. And, like, you, you hear about all these coaches talk about these things, but some of them don't ever live up to it. And, like, just hearing your recollection of this this one time that it lasted 10 seconds, but you can pinpoint where everyone was sitting, what what the feeling of the room was, like, you show it actually means something to you. But what, what where I'm trying to go with this is like, you actually live this lifestyle of what it means to actually be a coach. And yes, you're, you're in it to win. You're, you're in it to have that success, but you're in it for the much bigger reasons that come after the four years of the student athlete here. I've always said that I've lived that way. I don't think I've ever actually like seen it in place besides what my coach did at Penn State. And I, I've tried to replicate what that does, but listening to you talk and then listening to Colin in his actions because I've known him for much longer now, and like what you're doing as a coach is actually being passed on, and what what you're actually talking about, like Colin repeats it and he lo- he lives it too, and that that is that's gotta be something special as a coach. And I guess the second part of this is. You can take this whichever way you want. Emotionally, funny, whichever way. But you and Colin did work together for some time. So I know you got some stories rattling in that brain. You guys are very close. You you put on your Hawaiian shirt. You walk down the beaches at recruiting <laughs> events. Get,
1: give up. us...
2: Choose wisely, Ridge. I, I can uh, take the Sugar Beach contract, and uh, and it can get misplaced. We might. Uh... I the,
1: the one you just emailed us today. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I might, we might not be able to have South Carolina at that event anymore. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh...
0: <laughs> Give us your best uh, call in story. I'll start it out with a serious
1: one. So for me, I did get my start as like at the higher level as a manager. And like I said, you know, for me, I like, I, I wanted to be a director of operations because I didn't think I was good enough or I was ready enough. Um, Funny story, actually my very first year as an assistant coach, I go through the whole thing. I pretty much still acted like a manager because I didn't think the girls would look at me like a coach or Lambeau wouldn't listen to my opinions or my thoughts because I was just a manager. And I think he intentionally let me still live like a manager for that first year, waiting to see when I would put on my big boy pants and step up. And uh, my very first trip as a manager at Wichita State, I, uh, we went to Denver and then we flew directly from Denver to Hawaii. Not a bad first trip, I would say. And I was so immature, man, I, I was so immature. I, I did this funny thing where um, when you open doors, like you have to pull it out, like you can't pull it in, you know? No, no, I forgot which way. I have to look at my door. You have to pull it in if you're from the inside. So I filled up a trash can, like that mini trash can with water. This is right before we're about to leave to play Hawaii. And I leaned it up against one of our players' doors and I knocked on it and I ran to my room which was just right across from theirs. And I'm watching and knowing they're kind of preparing for the game. They open the door, the trash can falls over and just floods in their room and they're screaming. They're like wearing their game socks also. That probably wasn't a good thing by me. And they're just, oh my God, screaming, screaming, screaming. And I didn't say I was going to do anything. And they were like, who's did it? Like, da, 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 da. And Chris Lamb, like I said, he just thinks differently. He checked everyone's room to see who was missing a trash can. And I remember at that servant pass, he's like, RJ, once again, this is my very first trip as a manager. And I get to go to Hawaii. And on top of it, my ticket was first class because those were the only seats available. I even flew first class to Hawaii, the five, six guy getting all the leg room. So they've already given me so much already. And here I am messing around before a really big match. But Chris Lamb goes, RJ, let's have a talk about maturity. I go, it'll never happen again. And he was like, good. Why do I tell that story? Well, I had those moments like that. And I just didn't know. I only knew what I knew. I thought I would be having fun and stuff like that. But he still kept me around. And then on top of that, made me an assistant. And without that, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So I tell that story because Colin was an assistant, was a manager. And I remembered, I kind of get very protective with our girls. Or kind of, especially when like a male joins our like our group, or more like a practice player or a manager. I'm always like, what is your reason for joining our team, young man? And so I kind of rode Colin hard at the start but he kept showing up and like just getting better and better as much like crap. I might talk on him or something. And I know like it probably uh, kind of could get to him sometimes, but that's also a lot younger RJ as a coach that I recognize now as a 37 year old, that's probably not the way to go, but this dude just kept showing up. And he's like, he didn't know a lick of volleyball showing up, let alone beach volleyball, which there's definitely going to be a lot more than to, in, it'll be a lot easier to understand indoor than beach. But he kept showing up and asking questions. Next thing you know, I know it, this dude's talking volleyball with me. And then he like, sometimes he got too dedicated to the team where Colin was our... uh groundskeeper for home events and we had some very expensive equipment aka our sound box and colin being protective of the program because he's put his time in decided i don't want anyone to steal anything or mess up anything so i'm going to sleep at the courts colin straight up slept underneath the tent at our facility just to make sure no one messed with the setup. No one took the expensive music box that was covered in a tarp or took the volleyballs. Like this dude, and he's a college kid. Like he should be out, like partying, you know, all of that. And he's going to have a long day ahead of him. What does he do? He's going to protect our equipment by staying at the courts. Like, who does that?
0: Colin what was your plan if someone did show up to try to steal something though?
2: Uh, Michael, I'm six foot three and 260 pounds. Uh, also, like let's think back foolishly. So RJ mentioned young RJ. This was also young Colin. This was inside a locked facility tucked away in the back corner of the University of South <laughs> Carolina. I mean, I took teams there when I was at coastal Carolina sometimes it was still hard to get our team back to the courts and I knew where I was going. So I'm not sure how much, but it was more of a, it was the idea of like, I didn't want to be late. I had this like Uber fear. I showed up late one time to camp and it was like probably the most panicked day of my life. I mean, I get a call and Moritz goes, Hey man, are you uh, you coming in? And I go, yeah, I'm going to get there at like six 15. He goes, well, it's seven 30. Uh, and I went, oh, my God, I, I jumped out of bed. And I, I, They covered me and obviously had taken great care of me. And that's not the only time that I made mistakes or anything like that. But uh, no, I, I wanted to be good. I knew I knew where RJ was coming from of like, you know, young guy joining this all female team. And um, I hadn't I had not thought of it that way stupid of me I guess I probably should have I don't know considered it in some way shape or form but um, I just wanted to be good at it I mean I remember going to their office to ask them if I could do this in the first place and I wore a suit and the first day <laughs> I was like hey by the way don't don't show up to practice wearing a suit so I I scaled it down I wore a, a button up in khakis um, and it was like January 8th uh, and ninety degrees, I sweated through. I think I threw those khakis away. Like I, I sweated through <laughs> the whole thing. and they still like I, you know, they let me come back and didn't, didn't razz me too hard about it. I didn't get, I didn't get too much garbage. Now, there were plenty of moments later in my career where I received plenty
1: of uh, of trash, but
2: that's um well deserved, and I think that that's what you do in your family. So,
1: uh, well and. With Colin's development, like it's, I think like, because I was a manager, I just knew that he could do it as well. And so it's like, I do think of, yeah, Lambo rode me hard when I was his assistant and maybe I, that's just what I needed to do get this manager to also be a coach down the road. Um, I won't lie, I still mess with Colin when we're out and about as well, sometimes. <laughs> but, I'm, just,
2: I'm better at giving it back now.
1: I've got a yes, little bit, yes, a little yes. bit better at... But, you know, looking at it, maybe it just, I do that because it brings me back to like the old times. Um, And those were special times, dude. Like they were like the time we were at Gulf Shores and I was snack shopping at Walmart. And I remember Colin said, gosh like i need to get a haircut like so i'm at walmart and what do you know there's colin wilson getting a haircut at walmart
2: (laughs) in gulf shores hey one of us had blonde hair at this event all right i just want to note it one of us how did we get blonde hair again rich could you mind maybe remind some people how how this starts
1: all right time for another story uh Alyssa Taylor was our graduate assistant at the time. Alyssa, so we had this thing where we get a graduate assistant where they're split between indoor and beach volleyball. And they're with us just during our competition segments. Alyssa was essentially our director of operations. Like she kind of handled, helped make sure we were on time for itinerary. She handled all the meals, kind of equipment stuff. just because that's honestly what we needed the most help for um, when we're in our championship segment. And Alyssa was in her little cubicle in front of my office. And someone said like, this year we're making it to the NCA tournament. And I was like, we make it to the NCA tournament. I'll bleach my hair blonde. And Alyssa runs into my office because she overhears this conversation, writes, when we make the NCA tournament, RJ will dye his hair blonde. And she put an X and a line underneath. She goes, I need you to sign here. I signed it. It stayed on my whiteboard the whole season. And then we get the announcement that we're going to Gulf Shores for the NCAA tournament. And the very first thing is everyone's like, remember that thing on your whiteboard? And I'm like, oh no. And what some people might not know is the turnaround from being announced to getting all your travel details to you being at Gulf Shores is like two, three days. And for me, it's like, man, we're on the big stage. I can't have messed up blonde hair. Like if I'm going to do it, it's got to look good at least. (laughs) And so I'm trying, I'm calling all of these hair salons, like, Can you get me in? Can you get me in? Can you get me in? Well, I have straight up black hair for people who don't know what I look like. And in order to go from black to completely blonde, it's going to take a lot of time. Six hours to be exact. (laughs) So with two days notice, not a lot of places are going to have a six hour time slot for a dude to get his hair bleached but I did find the Paul Mitchell hair school of Columbia where they have students. And on top of it, it's a discounted rate because it's a student. And uh, yeah, I sat in a chair for six hours, letting them go totally bleach blonde on me. And uh, they actually did a pretty good job. I won't lie.
2: You looked good. You looked good.
1: And then I just remembered going to the bus and showing all the everyone my my new slim shady hair, um, <laughs> but yeah, that I, I, I was kind of funny. That was a funny one. Yeah, um, Gulf Shores. Good. There's a lot of funny stories for sure. Um,
2: you got to mention Big List too. Who let's you know coaching tree, uh, yeah, coaching, right? Gustavus uh, coaching at our alma mater now, um, taking the team to a couple of a uh, couple of national tournaments at the. Yeah. What comp? They're in the MIAC? MIAC? The oh, D3, I forgot. Right? They get to go to the D3 national tournament. Um, yeah. She's done a great job there and, and was an integral part. Um, just while we're on the hitting the highlights, I mean, Morgan Thomas, I think, was one of your GAs. Our oh. very,
1: very first one.
2: Very, very first one. Yeah. So Michael works with her at Texas Tech. Um, and oh, then, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Oh, Small my world.
1: goodness holy cow why did i not put two and two together (laughs) oh my god i'm taking a picture of this right now and sending it to her
2: (laughs) (laughs) um of course morgan and i had the most fun uh interaction at alamo camp this year when we were sitting during in between sessions and i i knew who she was obviously because like she's coaching at tcu now and she's been around the game a while and I'd heard stories of her from her time at South Carolina, and she goes, "So, Colin, what's your story?" And I go, "Well, um, not too far off from yours. I started out at South Carolina." And she goes, "Oh my God, you know RJ?" I go, "Yeah, Annmarit." <laughs> and uh, and so, anyway, you got that. You got those two. Um, let me think. Frankie, uh, Jade Hayes is still coaching down at Eckerd.
1: If yeah, she was sure. our very first indoor volleyball grad transfer. There we um, go. Probably one of my favorite project kids ever because she was so inter- actually, I actually have a funny recruiting story about Jade. So when I was at Wichita State, Jade's from like Springfield, Missouri, home of Missouri State, which I'm sure like, oh, Missouri State, this is your girl. Jade ends up, she was like 13, I think. And I'm in my office. I get a ring on my office and I'm like, this is not from like the business department. It's not from academics. Like, what is this? I pick up the phone and it's like baby Jade calling. Cause back then the recruiting rules were coaches could accept any phone calls from any age or grad year as long as they didn't initiate it. Little baby Jade cold called me when I was at Wichita State on my office line. I wasn't prepared. Like we had like a 15 minute phone call. I was like, cool. For some reason, I remembered that when we were looking for grad transfers. I remember, I know she was really big Libro, but she could hit from juniors. She was actually at University of Central Florida. So it was even closer to us. And uh, she only had one semester of eligibility. She visited late in the fall, comes to... Columbia in January and she's in our starting lineup playing with oh sorry Leah was Macy was not a freshman when she was playing with Leah. Macy was a freshman when she was playing with Jade our very first indoor grad transfer from Springfield Missouri or around that area I don't remember exact city and uh, the reason why I said project because Jade had this problem and I still giggle to on waiting to start her approach. She was very much like indoor tempo. Like, I need to be on this step when the ball's in the center's hand. And, you know, and it's like, Jake, just wait. Wait, like, I think there was times where we went like old school indoor where we hold on to their shirt until she could start her approach. But she would still, and she was so strong. So it's like, if you're holding on, you don't let go. She's pulling you with her. <laughs> so it was so funny because we have problem solved. Like how can Jade fix this? We only have a semester. We don't really have time to fix it. So we're going to have to change the set and little five, three, but we're going to say five, four for the pod. <laughs> Macy Tendrich would do a bump quick. Cause she was just so good. She could find Jade's hitting window and put it right there. And Jade would either obliviate the ball. She would send it to orbit <laughs> I think there's a couple still in orbit right now. Um, or she would just like paint brush it. But no one knew where it was going. So there's no way you could dig it. And uh she was a winning pair her very first time. So yeah, Jade's still coaching. Um who else? We had Aaron yeah. Newenfeld was a became a beach assistant at Jacksonville. Um yeah. Lydia Dimke uh, was a setter at Creighton who came and she coached at uh, Southeastern. Nova, Nova or, Southeastern. Down Nova Southeastern. There. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we just got a new branch on our tree with a – well, a newer-ish, but Sarah Blomgren was our most recent one. Uh, she went cool. to Arizona Christian, and now she's actually closer to at Coastal Carolina
2: friend of the pod she uh she came yeah. out a couple weeks ago and got to chat with plums a little bit
1: gosh obviously colin um I'm trying to think who else am i leaving out i feel so bad if i'm leaving out someone <laughs>
2: it's um, hard to get that many i mean
1: yeah and you know like i know we were talking about colin and we got to coaching trees but um Colin and I have been able to have some really cool conversations as coaches and share some tears from both of us at times. Um, I probably never told him about how proud I am. And But it's pretty damn cool to see where you're at, dude. And I think you took the hard way or the harder route because I think there are a lot of coaches that had great playing experiences like pros in the ABP played high division one or just played division one period and are Olympians. And then there's some of us who didn't have that background. So we had to take maybe a different approach where we can't necessarily say this is what worked for me, or this is what worked, you know, on the tour. Like we kind of had to take the approach of teachers and the biggest thing a teacher, or at least the teachers that I knew about that I remember from growing up are the ones who really felt like they loved me um, and those coaches. And so having Colin be that dude in the suit showing up on day one, to coaching now beach and indoor that just beat a very good LSU in-state team. Um, this dude didn't know anything about volleyball. And so, you know, part of our coaching tree, like I would say you're probably a thicker branch in, in the tree, not saying like, cause of body type, which <laughs> you look good by the way, you're looking good by the way. They're running, I they to talk to you about that running the training, but yeah, um, I say that because yes, we've had a lot of coaches and everyone has their different paths. But had a pretty unique one that's maybe close to my heart because I had the same path. Um, You know, right before we started recording the pod, we're talking – he's going through, you know, the preseason so far and beating some of these big teams like Texas State on the indoor side and LSU. And it's like, just think where where did this big dude come from and where he's at. But more importantly, he wasn't a pro – wasn't an Olympian, but I know how much he cares about his athletes. And uh, you know, going around recruiting and hearing all these other coaches like, hey, like callin' call and call and call. And and even talking on the phone with recruits and like, yeah, I had a phone call with Colin. Like, you're just doing it right, man. And I know as times you get frustrated, and a lot of coaches like when you hear other people talk about those, like those coaches or people, you know, that you're like, it's a pretty cool feeling. And even for me personally, but uh, yeah, the I, I have so many crazy call-in stories, but you know, something that I struggle with as a coach sometimes is just telling, I, I think I'm really good with the players, but maybe sometimes uh, other coaches about how proud I am of them. And uh, this is kind of a cool moment to do that right now. So I won't tell about uh, Waffle House stories or yeah. um, those things. But
2: I appreciate that. I still I still try to keep my job.
1: Well, yeah, because then if you lose your job, then we have to cut down our tree. So yeah. A branch yeah, on the
2: tree. So. it gets a, a lot harder for everybody. Uh, no, I, I appreciate it. I mean, obviously, I love you, dude. No, I'll say that. Every time you and Moritz are two people that I get to, I say I get to talk to whenever I need to. Um, And hopefully sometimes when neither of us needs to, but just want to. Um, And I, I I love the way that my career has gone, but it it wouldn't have gone anywhere if um, there hadn't been people that didn't care that I didn't play. And gave me a shot and said hey go for it and that's where the you know that first question we kind of talked about of like what do you do when a player asks you about coaching like you didn't look at me and say why would you do that you never played you're not going to be any good at this right you gave me the reasons that it would be hard like well you didn't play so <laughs> things are going to be a little bit tougher for you to explain Um but it was never an admonishment right it was never a hey don't do it it was a hey, if you're going to do this, be aware. And it's something that I talk about with our athletes all the time. You know, when we set goals for ourselves, um, there's, there was a study, right? A group of people that I think, and I think it was a weight loss study. One group of people who wanted to lose weight acknowledged the um, potential pitfalls that they would have, right? I would, oh, there's a wedding coming up or there's a fa- you know, it's the holiday season. So Christmas cookies are available at, at discounted rates. And then there was another group that just sat out on the goal and the group that acknowledged what would be hard about it succeeded at a higher rate than the group that didn't. And, and so I I guess through every day of suck, you, you kind of righted the ship, right? Kept me reminding me where we started and how far we came. And I know it's probably why you're a great coach and even better human being and, and friend. Um, So I appreciate that we got a lot more career to go. Um, I still have to notch a win over South Carolina before I retire.
1: Not so while I'm around, buddy.
2: Oh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're interested, March uh, – no. <laughs> Come on down to Youngsville, Louisiana, the Sugar Beach Complex. We'll be having a rowdy matchup between the uh, Southeastern Lions and the South Carolina Game Cup. <laughs> um, but I guess the the question that we definitely ask everyone – and Want to? I would love to hear your insight on it because you're going to have a different perspective than a lot. Um, what do you want to see out of NCAA beach volleyball going forward? You've seen it from the start to where it is now. What's next?
1: Wow. I feel like this should be something that all beach coaches should be, like, have kind of an answer. I really don't. But I'm pretty good about pulling things out of my butt and make it sound somewhat. <laughs> I mean, I got calling into coaching. I just
0: <laughs>
2: oh, See, there kidding. it is, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. In, in case kidding. you wondered, in case you wanted a sweet moment, years away now. All right, it's time for laughter.
1: No, that's a. It's probably a defense mechanism, as my therapist would say. But uh, so, yeah. what do I want more out of beach volleyball? I think. It's been really cool in my career, getting to talk to a lot of coaches at different levels, different with different budgets and different ways of having to problem solve in our career as beach volleyball, obviously, isn't one of the most expensive or isn't one of the most, isn't one of the sports that requires, or usually has one of the biggest budgets. That so many of these coaches find a way to make things work. And I think recently we have Nebraska volleyball breaking the world's uh, attendance record for any women's event. Um, People are, I I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, well, it's Nebraska. Like they have a cult following. Um, And it's like, yeah, they do. But notice how the world is the one that's supporting and thinking that's such a cool idea. And we're all not Huskers. Maybe that one night we were, but we're all not Huskers and we're so supportive of that. And the interesting thing is after that moment, I'm going through my social media feeds or just my, and looking at all these volleyball programs talking about highest attended game ever in program history. And just immediately, you're seeing all these programs getting higher attendance. And maybe it's because of that one event by Nebraska and, and Nebraska-Omaha that other people are like, whoa, that was cool to watch on TV. I'm going to go to a gym and go watch it. And then they're bringing their friends. Like, hey, this was fun. Let's, I'm bringing my friend to this one. I want to see the NCA capitalize on this momentum that we have right now when it comes to support, obviously, for indoor volleyball since indoor is happening right now, but I hope that momentum co- carries over to beach volleyball. Um, I've heard some crazy stories about the, st- the support, um, you know, the attention administration gives to their athletes, but also even just the coaches. And yeah, we're, we're not going to have a Nebraska type, uh, record when it comes to attendance, but I think if we want to grow this sport, um, and have more programs, meaning more opportunities for these young women to play and also get a college education, like we have to give just a little more support, just a little more, um, I was talking to a buddy of mine that was uh, that might be, have some sort of connection to Nebraska. And uh, he was telling me of a book he was reading. And I think the book, he found the book off of some TikTok or something like that. And it was about a boy and a horse walking through the forest. I actually told this to my team the other day or to the team the other day. There's a boy and a horse going through a forest and obviously horse's talks so the horse is like, Hey, where are we going? And the boy goes like, I, I, I don't know. And he kind of gets off the horse. It's like, I can't see where we got to go. And the horse goes, well, can you see far enough to take one step? And he's like, yeah. So the horse is like, go take one step. And then he's like, hey, since you're in a new place, like, can you see enough to take another step? Yeah. And just keeps walking and walking. And we might not know where NCA Beach volleyball is gonna be. We have an idea where we want we want it to be, but we don't necessarily have the path right now. I mean, how long did it take for? for nebraska to accomplish this feat. So with NSA beach volleyball, I want to see more support. And just I'm not saying throw big globs of money at these programs or you know, I'll even say for some coaches, some raises for for the work that they they're putting in. But I'm saying give give these beach programs enough just to take one more step forward. And if we can get all of our beach programs to just take one step in sync, just forward. Regardless, division one, two, three, who cares? But just give us enough so we have enough juice to take one step forward. We, we don't know necessarily where we are going to be. We have an idea where we want to go. We just can't see it right now. But give us that space and that support to take one step forward. Um, I know that's very broad, but I really do think, you know, we haven't had really growth in collegiate beach volleyball. And it's been some time. And I know economics plays a role in that. But if they can allow these programs and coaches and these athletes to just take one step forward, I think we can start clearing that foggy path and see what we need to do to replicate something like what Nebraska did in front of 92,003 people. Um How is that for pulling something out of my butt?
0: Holy cow, <laughs> man. I, I
1: I I just I'm such a firm believer in regardless of whatever division or whatever level anyone is like It's kind of like how I talk with athletes, like every athlete feels like they deserve to be loved. And once they kind of get that feeling, then you can get, get them to reach their potential on the court. But if you don't have that, there's no way they're going to be as good as they can be. And I think that's the same thing for coaches. I think that's the same thing for like support staff. We're talking about like athletic trainers. Colin was talking about earlier. Um, Managers, you know, coaches, I think do a good job. We let people know we believe in them. We're able to do some amazing things. And if the NCAA and administrators um, can provide that for the coaches and athletes in a sense that it's genuine and authentic and not a, let's, we said we did this. We could put that on our resume or we could check off that box. If it's truly authentic and all of us, players, coaches, support staff, take these baby steps together going forward, even though we don't know the exact path, the sport's gonna do some pretty amazing things. Like it's, and when sports at, in the collegiate level do some amazing things, then some young girls and daughters get inspired and you know, when we're old and retired, those girls are gonna be the ones that are well, I can see the path and we're it's this way. And let's go. But we gotta have the juice and support and the love to be able to take that next step forward. So yeah, that's what that's what I think about the NCAA and where where beach volleyball is gonna be going and needs to be.
2: Luckily you got I think you and uh Alex Luna, new uh new Gamecock assistant coach might be two of the most creative um attendance people I've ever met. So I'm excited to see what kind of ideas you guys concoct over there. Um to to get more people to what is one of the best beach facilities in the country, even though it's ten years old now. Um Wheeler Beach is I, I still put it in a top top five. I mean, LSU's obviously got a wonderful facility, Stanford's Stanford's pretty cool. Cal Poly's got a nice spot, but Wheeler Beach keeps holding on to that holding on to that top 5 ranking there. <laughs> uh, uh, bring out some people and make their way back there. Maybe we can actually have need for security to take
1: care of a music box. Uh we'll give you a call if there's a position. <laughs> I appreciate
2: it. Me and, my, me and my boy James uh hanging out. I yeah. hope you <laughs> Um, there's a there's a groundskeeper shout at out James. South Carolina. His name's James. Um, I'm not sure how old James is. I have never been able to understand what he says. He speaks in like the softest kind of whistly whisper. Yeah.
1: Yeah, how you doing today? think the pistol gonna do? Yeah, that sounds good, man.
2: But he's he's so nice, first off. He works he works more than anybody I've ever met. I mean, I slept at the courts. I want the like I slept there. James still somehow was at the facility longer than me.
1: I'm not sure how he pulled that off. Um James is so good and nice that he probably tucked you in. <laughs> he when he woke saw me up. you done at the courts. He woke me up. So J- James
2: rolls in on his he uh, drives a gator around and he goes to change the trash bags and he taps me on the shoulder and goes, hey, good morning james good good to see you glad glad everything's going well here um but yeah so me if you ever get the uh if you ever need the security job call me and i'll i'll grab i'll hang out with james and maybe we'll get uh a whiteboard so i can we can have a conversation but
0: yeah no Thank you so much for coming on RJ and it's been awesome to listen to your stories listen to your philosophies everything like it's just been true pleasure and one of the things about starting this podcast for me selfishly was I wanted to kind of get more involved with the community because I'm pretty new to the beach community and what I found out over the 18-19 episodes that we've recorded is everyone is so freaking nice and so supportive but like I, I am such a big fan for everybody that we have on and everyone in our community. And like, I, I love to hear how you think about the game and how you think about coaching because it, it is a different perspective. And it's it's probably a much harder route to always keep that, that player first mentality. Like this, this is what I need to protect instead of getting into those numbers and diving deep into the strategy and just saying, no, all we have to do is this X, this O, and they're they're not just X's and O's. They're 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 people. They have feelings. They have days, you know. And you really see that. And that's that's a really difficult life to actually live as a coach.
1: Well, you know, when I was talking about these little steps that we all need to take, and but well, we need the support to know we can take those steps. Like you better leave this in the pod, but what you've created here, like getting coaches on and, and everyone talking and like, I just love listening to it. Cause it's like, we're friends with all each other and we kind of get to be a part of these conversations indirectly and just hear even more stories. Like we're just out hanging out. And I think there's a side of coaching that, you know, maybe there are athletes that are interested in coaching that they don't get to necessarily hear from their coach. Um, or there are parents that maybe don't necessarily understand what coaches have to deal with and go through and what they're responsible for and how much they do love their kids. Or it would be cool to hear administrators listen to this and see like, what is it really like in a day in the life of a coach? It's, I do find it interesting that sometimes that people get so infatuated with, What they see on social media, what they see on the websites, on Twitter, and that's all they know about the program. But there's this world that coaches have to live in that I think 80% of the outside world doesn't quite understand. Uh, The X's and O's and the practice and all that, that's 15% of our job, when so many people think that's 90% of the job. So. Having a platform like this is so crucial to help our sport. people understand our sport but inspire coaches who are coaching right now inspire future coaches um, inspire administrators to maybe support their programs even more or maybe even add like I know I'm a, a big fanboy when it comes to this, but I this is very important for our sport, not just our career. And I think maybe that was something that, I maybe you don't understand how big this actually is or it can be and will be, but like that little story with the horse and the boy, like you're taking those steps forward, dude. And everyone's behind you and pushing you to, because this is really, really important in my opinion. And I think you do so awesome. Even your Spotify podcast ad, like sounds like a real thing, like you really are doing something. I'm not just saying that. I really do hope you leave this in the podcast so people understand how awesome of a platform this is. And um, even for like some coaches who maybe don't necessarily have a big voice or a platform that they get to share themselves with the world. Um, So props to you, Colin, props to you for helping out and get this rolling as well. Um, but it's, it really is a privilege and I had so much fun, uh, chatting with you guys and, uh, thanks for having me again. Thanks, Rich. Love you, dude. Love you guys.
2: See ya.